0: Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you provide all all of these good things to us. Thank you for your mercy. And Lord, as we look at your word today, we are reminded once again that we desperately need that mercy. That we need Jesus. We need the grace that comes from the cross. So I pray that you would fill us once again. Cause us, Lord, by your spirit to be ready... For the day when you come to judge the living and the dead. And Lord, we know there is no way that we can be ready apart from your uh, mercy. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Today we're turning in our Bibles to Matthew, the 25th chapter. And in Matthew 25, we are in the middle of one of Jesus' sermons. In the Gospel of Matthew, we have recorded five of Jesus' sermons. And this is the last sermon recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, the last sermon of Jesus that's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And it deals with the end times. The topic is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The topic is about the soon return of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is simply teaching us about the reality of his return, the signs that will come uh, preceding his return, that there will be signs of his return and that he will come again in glory. And then in Matthew chapter 25, he's teaching us how to be ready for his second coming. He's teaching us how to be ready for his soon return. And so one of the major questions as we look at Matthew chapter 25, is this. Are you ready? Are you ready for Judgment Day? Are you ready for the day when he comes again to judge the living and the dead? Last week we covered the parable of the ten ten virgins. And this week we are going to be looking at the parable of the bags of gold or of the talents. So today, Matthew chapter 25, beginning with the 14th verse. And Jesus is speaking again. It will be like a man going on a journey. What will be like a man going on a journey? Well, for the answer, we go to twenty-five, chapter, Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. He says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. So again, what will it be like? What will the kingdom of heaven be like? Well, it's like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's the key. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, here's the thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here ends the reading of our gospel lesson. So here's the parable. A master goes on a journey. He entrusts with three of his servants his resources what he has. Two are faithful. Two are... Said, Jesus says to two of them, well done, good, and faithful servant. But one, one does not trust his master. He completely and totally misses the point of who his master is and what his master can do. And he fears his master rather than trusting his master and hides the bag of gold rather than putting it to work. So in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, again, Jesus is preaching a sermon This is the last of five sermons recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And again, this is the topic of the second coming of Jesus. This is teaching us how to be ready on the day of his return. And Jesus, he came 2,000 years ago. He came once already. He came as Savior. He came to lay his life down upon the cross and to be resurrected from the dead so that we would have salvation in Christ. So all of us who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have this gift of salvation won for us through Jesus Christ. And now we're learning, what does it mean to live in that salvation? What does it mean to be ready for his return as believers in Jesus Christ? And we need to understand that he is coming again. And we confess it in the creed. He is coming again. To do what? To judge the living and the dead. And so in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, he, Jesus is, is very clear about this reality that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. In Matthew 24, Jesus warns us that his return will come suddenly, it'll come unexpectedly. Uh, his return will be a surprise. And Jesus teaches us that we need to be ready for his return. Jesus says, No one knows the day or the hour. And when the trumpet sounds, there's nothing that we can do to get ready at that moment. We just need to be ready today. So are you ready today? Are you trusting in Christ as your Savior? And as a Christian, are you you living your life in such a way that brings glory and honor to your Master? No one knows the day or the hour of his soon return, but each of us needs to be ready. Why do we need to be ready? We need to be ready because those who are not ready will be shut out of God's eternal kingdom. They'll be shut out to face the judgment that their sins deserve. So in Matthew 25, Jesus teaches us to be ready for that day. To be ready for his return. And Jesus gives us these beautiful parables in Matthew chapter 25. The parable of the ten Virgins Today, the three servants. Next week, the sheep and the goats. Reviewing from last week, in the parable of the ten virgins, there is a separation. There is a separation of the wise from the foolish. Five were wise. They were ready for the, to receive the bridegroom, but five were foolish. They didn't have oil for their lamps. And they were not prepared. In today's parable, the three servants, two are faithful. And one is unfaithful. In today's parable of the faithful and unfaithful servants, we learn of yet another contrast or a separation. In each of these parables, there is a contrast, there is a separation between the faithful and the unfaithful. The wise, the foolish, the sheep, and the goats. And we need to understand that those in the parables represent the church. The ten virgins represent the church. Uh, The three servants represent the church. And even the sheep and the goats represent the church. And we need to be aware of the reality that not everyone who who attends church or holds church membership is saved. Not everybody who sits in church is saved. But on Judgment Day there will be a separation. There will be a separation. Now here's the thing, not everyone who attends church or holds church membership is saved, but there's something else we need to understand, that we cannot determine a person's salvation by church attendance or membership, yet at the same time, we should never be the judge. We should never stand as judge and jury. We, We do not have a salvation detector to determine who the saved are and who the lost are. It's not our our job to run around and attempt to weed out unbelievers. We're not God's salvation detectors. We confess that hypocrites and unbelievers will be mixed into the church with the faithful. There were ten virgins, five unwise. They were not ready. Five were wise. They were ready. They were ready for the day of judgment. In today's parable... Three servants, two were ready. One was not. It's not our job to determine who the unbelievers are and who the believers are. It's God's job to separate the believers and unbelievers on Judgment Day. And it's also impossible for us to create a pure church. It's impossible for us to create a pure church. Consisting of only saved People, But it's not your job to judge if another person is ready for Judgment Day. It's not your job to do that. It's your job to make sure that you are ready for that day. And we know that a person is ready when they are trusting in Christ as their Savior. So our parable teaches us how to be ready for that great and terrible day. In the parable, three servants are entrusted with a certain amount of the master's money. And they are to manage the master's money faithfully. This is the point of the parable. They are to manage the master's resources faithfully. Two of them are faithful in their management of their master's money. One, however, doesn't trust his master. He doesn't recognize the goodness of his master. He doesn't believe that his master has his best interest at heart. The two faithful servants, trusting their master, having faith in their master's goodness, these two faithful servants double their master's money. But the wicked and lazy servant, he buries his master's money. He makes zero use of what his master gave him. He doesn't trust the goodness of his master. He doesn't even take the money, put it in the bank, and collect interest on it. And for the wicked and lazy servant, there is only judgment. But for the faithful servants, those who trust their master, they are granted their master's happiness. Everything good from the master is given to them. The master in the parable represents Christ. The servants represent the church. The gold, or if you recall from other translations of the Bible, uh, traditionally these, these gold bags are called what? Talents. Talents, and talent is just a measurement of money or of gold. So the gold or the talents, the master's money, it represents everything that God has blessed us with, in life So we have a master and we are servants and he's given us resources he's given to you these talents or bags of gold and those ba- bags of gold they represent every resource that God has blessed you with in this life And and the point of the parable is that you are to use everything that God has entrusted to your care for his honor and for his glory. Did you know that you own nothing? You are owner of nothing. Everything that you have in this life has been entrusted to you by your good and faithful master. I own nothing, and you own nothing. Everything that you have has been given to you by God because he is a good and a loving and a gracious God. So everything that you have is a gift from him. So the question is, is are you honoring God with every resource that you have? Are you bringing honor and glory to God? And, and we're talking about more than money. Sometimes when people hear that there's a stewardship sermon, they think that the preacher is going to be talking about putting more money into the offering plate. So we're talking about more than money. We're talking about money, yes, but we're also talking about time. Think about the way you use your time. Does the use of your time bring honor and glory to God? So yes, money. Does your your money bring honor and glory to God, but also your time? Uh, We're also talking about the people that the Lord has brought into your life. We're, We're talking about your skill, your knowledge, your giftedness. Every resource that you have in life. The question is, are you using it to bring honor and glory to your master? You see, these things, the, the money that you, you have, uh, uh, the, um, the time that you have, the, the people in your life, the skill, the knowledge, and the giftedness that you have, you're not the owner of those things. God is the one who has gifted you with those things. God has entrusted you with what you have and even with who you are. And the two faithful servants understood that what the master had entrusted their care needed to be put to good use. So they went and they, and they put their master's gold to good use. And the point of the parable is not the amount of gold. The point of the parable is what each did with whatever amount was entrusted to their management. Some of us don't have very much. We look at our lives and we say, Lord, I don't really have very much to offer to you. It doesn't matter. What matters is what you use, or is that you use what you have. For his honor and for his glory. What matters is what I do with the little that I've been given. Am I faithful with whatever amount I've been given? Nor is the point of the parable about getting more. The point of the parable is faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God. So are you living faithfully before God? with what you have been given in this life. Faithfulness is how we use the resources entrusted to our care. So those Christians who are ready on Judgment Day, trusting their master, trusting the goodness of their master, trusting that he is a gracious God, trusting him so much that they use everything that they've been given faithfully, For his honor and for his glory. But how? How can we use what we have been given faithfully? I want us to think of three things, just practically, of how we can do this. Number one is generosity. Generosity. And when I talk about generosity, I'm not just talking about the amount of money that you put into the office. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you being generous in every way. Generous with all of your resources. Money, yes. But also time. Um, And I'm not just talking about spending a lot of time at church. I'm not talking about spending a lot of time in meetings. Or spending a lot of time doing busy stuff around here. I'm also talking about our neighbors, your neighbors, your co workers, your family. I'm talking about all of the individuals that the Lord has brought into your sphere of influence in life. Generosity. Generosity towards others. We're not just talking about money. We're talking about who we are and everything that we've been given. Our money, yes, our time, our skill, our knowledge. What I'm talking about when, I'm talk, when, I, when I talk about generosity is, is, is not just thinking about myself, but thinking about what I can do to help other people, how I can serve. And that's number two. So we focus on generosity and then we focus on service. How can I serve? Not just in the church, but how can I serve my family? How can I serve those that I work with? How can I serve the people that I live close to? How can I serve in this world? So to be faithful through generosity, service. And then motivated not by saying, look at me. Look at how generous I am. Look at how much time I spend serving. Look at how wonderful I am. That's not the motivation. The motivation being love. So focus on generosity, focus on service, and focus on love. That's how we're faithful stewards. Generosity, service, and love. But then I was thinking as I wrote this sermon, why not just make it one point? Why complicate it with three points? Maybe as preachers we think, oh, you know what, I've got to have three points in order to have a good sermon. No, it really, it just needs one point for a good sermon. And the point should be repeated over and over and over again. What does it mean to live faithfully? Live like Jesus. Live like him. Open the scriptures. Read about Christ. Study Christ. And seek to follow him. Seek to live as his disciple. Seek the attitude, the actions, the words of Christ. Live like Jesus. Live like Jesus. So we are faithful servants. We are ready on the day of judgment when we are trusting in our Lord and Savior as as the one who died upon the cross to take away our sins but we are, we, are, we are faithful servants when we're trusting him, and we are faithful servants when we are following him. So really the bottom line is to trust him and to follow him in obedience. That's how you're ready. Live as a servant of Jesus Christ. Live as a disciple of Christ. And That's really your identity. Going back to the parable and focusing on the word servant. Your identity is that of servant. Most of us don't like to think of ourselves as being a servant. Uh, Through books and media and maybe what we've seen, probably most of us would say, "I I would rather be the boss. I'd like to be the guy who lives in the mansion and has the yachts and all that sort of stuff, with servants serving me. Uh, But Jesus says that's not the way we're to live. Uh, We are to be the servants. We are to live as servants. Christ was a servant, and we are to follow Christ, so that means that we live as servants. It's interesting that the Greek word for servant in this parable is the Greek word doulos, Anybody here know what the Greek word doulos literally translates as? Literally, it's not translated as a hired hand or a hired servant. The term would be better translated as slave. A slave. So again, doulos does not refer to a hired hand. Doulos refers to a bond servant or to a slave. So as you read the parable and you see the word servant, in the Greek it's doulos, it's literally slave. We are ready for Jesus' return when we recognize our identity as slaves of Christ. It is your joy. It is my joy. To live as slaves of Christ. Did you know the Bible says that you are not your own? You are not your own. You were bought as a, at a price. You were bought as a price. But there's a paradox in, in being a slave of Jesus. As a slave of Jesus, you are free. You are free. You have been purchased by Christ to be his own possession and when you belong to him, you are free. Absolutely free. And as those who have been set free by Christ, we willingly and we joyfully live as his bondservant. Christ purchased your freedom. In the same way that Christians throughout church history have raised money to purchase slaves off the slave market to set them free. This has been going on in the 600s. Uh, a saint, St. Eligius, has uh, written about him. A re- religious men from all parts came to Eligius foreigners, and also monks, and in whatever way allegius could serve, he would either give them the money or share the price of the captives. So he would use his money to purchase slaves. It says, for he had the greatest enthusiasm for this kind of work. Indeed, whenever he understood that a slave was being offered for sale... He hurried up with the utmost speed in his mercy and immediately gave the price to free the captive. Occasionally, St. Eligius uh, would redeem from captivity at the same time as many as 20, 30, even 50, sometimes even the whole body of slaves, up to 100 souls coming from various peoples, men and women. He would free as they left the ship. There were Romans, Gauls, Britons, also men of Marseille, but they were chiefly men of Saxony and Germany. who at that time, in large numbers, like flocks, were expelled from their own lands and scattered in different countries. So St. Eligius would serve by setting slaves free. Did you know that's what Jesus did for you? One word is used to describe our salvation, and that word is redemption. The word redemption. Redemption literally means to buy back from slavery. And Jesus sets you free from your slavery so that you could serve him as his bond servant. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says... For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, that is purchased or bought back from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. So Jesus didn't purchase us with with earthly resources. He didn't set us free with silver or gold. How did Jesus set you free? Peter tells us, but with his precious blood. but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You have been purchased from slavery. You have been purchased from the empty way of life. You have been brought into a new life, a new life as servants of Christ, as slaves of Christ, living as a slave of Jesus, here it: Living as a Slave of Jesus is the most liberating life that a person can live. Your identity is that of a doulos, a bondservant, a slave of Jesus. And your master purchased you with the price of his precious blood. It was Jesus the Son of God, who in love for you willingly suffered and died upon the cross to purchase you, to purchase your freedom, and to make you his own possession. So today you are free in Jesus. You are free in Christ. When you're free in Christ, living as his bondservant, as his slave, then you're ready for Jesus' return then when you realize who you are, your identity as a bondservant of Christ, then you can faithfully use every gracious gift that God has given to you for his honor and his glory. So in this parable, the encouragement is this, do not forget who your master is. Do not forget who he is, that he loves you, that he is faithful and that he is good. And do not forget who you are, the slave of a particular master. As you await his return, serve him. He has entrusted you to a life of relationships and opportunities and resources. Use your life for him. Use your life for his will. And when he returns, he will treat you the same way he treats all of his own, all who belong to him. He will say to you, well done, good, and faithful servant. Focus on generosity. Focus on service. Focus on love. Focus on following Jesus. And I urge you, do not focus on the results. Do not focus on the results. Don't don't look at other people's accomplishments. Don't look at the missionary who lives in... The sub-Sahara Africa and the oppressive heat. Don't compare yourself to others. Look to your master. Look to Christ alone. You see, if you're looking to other people, if you're looking at the results, you're only going to be condemned. As I read these parables and as I study these parables, it just brings to me uh, this sense of I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And the honest reality is is that I'm really not. I'm really not. And if you're honest, you would say the same thing. That's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is not for us to stand as people who are condemned, but to look once again to the faithfulness of our master. Look to your master who loves you. died for you and has provided all things for you look to Jesus and then simply use what you have been given to serve him knowing that all his servants are welcome into his joy not based upon merit but based upon grace where do I start serving him faithfully how can I be counted as a faithful servant on judgment day I say this start where you're at Start where you're at. And start with what you can do. Don't focus on your limitations. Don't focus on your limitations. I believe that all these good things come from the gracious hand of Jesus. You are saved by grace apart from works. Why do we do these good works? Why do we serve? Why do we follow? Why do we obey? We do do good works because of our gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. We are his joy-filled servants doing his work because he first served us by his life, death, and resurrection. And don't think for a moment that you merit anything from your Savior. Every good thing comes from our gracious Savior. The resources we have and the precious gift of the forgiveness of sin. Every good thing originate with God. And really today, my encouragement to you is to come with open hands. Come before God with open hands. And say, Lord, all that I have, all that I I need, all that is good comes from you. So fill me with your gracious provision. And then help me, a beggar with really who really has nothing, help me to use that for your honor and for your glory. Amen. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would come before you as people with open hands. Empty hands that are open and ready to receive from you. To receive the the precious gift of of the forgiveness of sins, but also to receive whatever other resources we have in life, material resources of time, Uh, the ability to do certain things. Uh, Whatever resource you have put into our hands, Lord, I pray that we would use it with thanksgiving for what you have done for us and what you have provided for us. So help us to be your faithful servants. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to please stand as we sing our song of response today. Oh, we have communion. Actually, we're not singing a song. We, we've changed our order up here a little bit. You may be that. Today we'll be receiving the sacrament of Holy Communion. And it's our gracious Lord and Savior who invites us to come to the table and to receive from him. You know what I said about coming? I'm going to have Noel head on up there. He's going to be leading us in our, servant today, so our service of communion today. God gives us grace. He gives us grace upon grace upon grace. And one of the means of grace through which we receive the gifts of Jesus is in the sacrament. And in the sacrament of Holy Communion, we receive his body, which was broken for us, and his blood, which was shed for us.